Good morning again, church. Hey, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Let's go to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is where we're going to be today. We're continuing to walk through our series called Draw Near. We're going to take this through Advent, just a few more weeks. But we're learning what does it mean to truly live in prayer. And look, prayer is one of those things that you never really get to the end of learning. As we go through life, we get older. We have new experiences. There are changes and The Lord can open up new things for us, and so we need to constantly be learning about prayer, and there's ups and downs, and hopefully over the course of this series, you're experiencing that. You're beginning to learn more, be able to delve deeper in as you draw near to God, and He draws near to you. But invariably, uh, there are going to be issues in our prayer life, just like in any relationship. We're going to be looking at another one of those today. Psalm 32 is where we're going to be in just a minute. While you were turning there, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us uh, make regular visits to our doctors. Uh, now, look, I, that's probably something we all should do. Uh, you ought to go get a checkup every now and then, just kind of see how you're, you're doing. And uh, honestly, if you ask everybody, should you go get an annual visit with your doctor? Should you check in with your doctor uh, regularly? Almost everybody will say yes. The problem is almost nobody actually does it. We'll know we're supposed to do that, but when it actually comes time to booking the appointment and saying, yeah, I'm just going to go for a regular checkup to my doctor. I'm just going to go. There's nothing wrong. We're just going to show up at my doctor's office for no reason. We start to get cold feet. We find reasons not to do this. We don't want to do this. Why? Well, if he starts poking around, he might find something. And I don't know if he wants to, I don't want to know what's really going on there. And I probably know what he's going to say, Right. You're going to go in, you're going to go see your doctor, and sooner or later, he will say some combination of, you should be exercising more, you should lose weight, and you should eat better. Guess what? I already knew that. I knew that before I went. Why would I go? I already know that's what he's going to say, and so if I know that's what he's going to say, and I already do it, listen, I'll just get to it later. All right, it'll be fine. I'll, I'll work on it next week, next year, next decade. I'll get around to it. I will do something, but I just don't know if I actually just want to show up for a random visit. And so many of us don't. And look, that might be fine for a few years, but if you don't ever go, what happens is problems that you could have caught early, you don't. And things that would have been very easy to deal with on the front end when you leave them for days, weeks, months, years, When they finally do present themselves and you finally see a very real problem, now the solution is much more drastic than it would have been if we had caught something just a little bit earlier. But we just feel that tension of, I don't know if I want to have that conversation. I don't know if I actually want to go and talk about those things that I probably need to change. And so for many of us, we just don't. And we may feel a similar tension when it comes to prayer. There are going to be times in our life where we say, Adam, I know I should be praying. I get it. I've prayed before and I will probably pray again. But when the the, the time comes to actually sit down to pray, we keep finding excuses. We keep finding reasons not to do so. There's something in us that just kind of pulls us away from the Lord. And sometimes that's because we know what he's going to say. There are things that we need to deal with, things that we probably need to change, things that we need to address. And as soon as I go talk to the Lord, I'm sure he's going to want to talk about those things. And man, I just don't know if I want to talk about those. So we don't. 
We said, I'll take care of that. Listen, I'm gonna get around to praying. I promise I will. I'm gonna get back to, to walking with the Lord. I'll get back to doing that. I'll do that next week, next year, next decade. I'll get around to it. And if you've ever experienced a season of prayerlessness in your life or you've watched different people walk through seasons of prayer, prayerlessness, one of those reasons is that there are things in our life we just don't want to deal with. But if we don't, and just like in our physical life, things that would have been easier to address when they were smaller in our life or earlier in our life become a lot harder to deal with when they've left them go unchecked for days, weeks, months, or years. The consequences get a lot more drastic. And so the Lord, through our prayer life, gives us options. He says, listen, I'm going to draw you back through prayer, but this is going to require confession, Confession ought to be a systemic part of our prayer life. And that's why we're looking at Psalm 32 today. Uh, Psalm 32 might sound a little bit familiar to some of y'all. If you were here a few weeks ago, we briefly looked at Psalm 32 when we talked about authentic prayer. We walked through a bunch of different Psalms and we found out that God's okay with your real emotions. You can bring who you really are to the Lord in prayer. You can bring your anger. You can bring your frustration. You can bring your confusion or your doubt or your hurt, your grief. You can bring all of those to the Lord in prayer. And the Psalms are filled with those. But another thing that we can bring to the Lord is confession. Where we come before him honestly and ask for his help and ask for his forgiveness. Now, the main Psalm of confession is Psalm 51. And if you know anything about David, uh, you are probably aware of David that he was the man after God's own heart. He's the greatest king uh, that the Old Testament has. Uh, He's kind of one of the rock star figures of the Old Testament, but we also know about David's great sin. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat its heroes. It doesn't just tell us the good stuff. It tells us the bad stuff too. And at the height of David's power, he lets his power go to his head. And he decides he can do whatever he wants. And so he calls to his chambers one of the wives of one of his warriors. And he sleeps with her. He gets her pregnant. He wasn't counting on that. So he tries to cover it up. That doesn't work. So he ultimately just has her husband murdered by the power of the state. And all of this is in full view of the Lord. David thinks he's covering it up. He's clearly not. And the Lord sends a prophet to confront him. And when confronted, David confesses. And he will write Psalm 51. It is a beautiful psalm. It shows us David's heart. He is broken. He confesses. He is contrite before the Lord. It's a beautiful hymn of confession. But today we're not looking at Psalm 51. We're looking at Psalm 32. It is yet another hymn of confession from David. Why would that be? Well, because not all of our sins are of that grand variety. The kind that you look at and said, that's the sin that broke my life. That's the major sin. Everybody looks at it and said, what's your biggest mistake? Oh, it was that one. Many of us have those in our lives, but there are other sins as well. And so in Psalm 32, we find David confessing yet again for some other sin that may not have, have reached the, the grandeur, the magnitude of what happens with Bathsheba and Uriah, but it is sin that is affecting him nonetheless. So let's look at this as we get into Psalm 32, starting in verse 1. It says, Maskell of David. He said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, 
my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everybody who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So here we have David wrestling with a sin that he does not want to confess. Now, what is this sin? Well, we don't know. In Psalm 51, we know. In this one, we do not. But we have a couple clues. He uses two words here. He uses transgression and sin. Now, the word transgression means an open rebellion. All right, so this will be a willful sin. This is not something he just kind of drifted into or he stumbled into. This is an open rebellion against God. He is doing that something that he knows is wrong, something that he knows he should not do. He is doing, that is transgression. But then he also mentions sin. And this is really the kind of the catch-all word for sin in the Old Testament. It means missing the mark. It means anything less than God's perfection. And that would cover intentional sin, but also unintentional sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. We have all sinned in such a manner. And so we don't know specifically what it was, but we know that it has some sort of a flavor of an intentional sin. It is a, it's a rebellion against God. But look at what it's doing to him there. Look at verse three. He says, for when I kept silent, and he's talking there about his sin, his refusal to confess, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Right? So the result is when he refuses to, to confess, when he refuses to be honest before the Lord, the Lord brings kind of a, an oppression on him. Instead of walking in vitality, he feels kind of dried up. He feels the, the whole life of him just kind of sapped away as by the heat of summer. He just, he just can't seem to get things going. His prayer life is just, it's not clicking. It's not working. He can't, he can't do the things he would normally do. He's not experiencing the, the nearness, the intimacy that he once had. Why? Because of his refusal to confess. And this is one of those hidden problems with sin, the hidden consequences of sin, if you will. Look, look, massive sins have massive consequences. We're all fully aware of that. But with lesser sins in our life, lesser in our view, the ones that have lesser consequences, we have more of a temptation to think that we are getting away with it. You ever thought that before? You do the sin, the thing that you know that you're not supposed to do, and you do not get struck by lightning. You said, oh, well, that was easy. I, I must be good. I've gotten away with it. I've got it under control. And by the way, we, we, when we do those things, we, sometimes we even try to cover it up. We try to pretend it's not sin. Very rarely do we just out and out say, I'm going to live in open rebellion against the Lord. 
Instead, we come up with excuses. Yeah, 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 I know that's wrong for most people. It's just not wrong for me. Or maybe it's wrong at most times, but not in this instance. It's not wrong for me anymore. Yeah, other people might have a problem with that, but I don't really have a problem with it. You see, I have, a, I have this under control. And by the way, look, this is a victimless crime. It's not hurting anybody. It's not hurting anybody. If it hurts anybody, it just hurts me. This is fine. We think we have control. We think things are going well, but what this is doing is that it's not just hurting us. It, it, it's hurting our prayer life. When you and I live in sin, when you and I are making choices to do things that we know that God has told us, do not do this thing, it will have an impact on our prayer life. It can't help but have an impact on our prayer life. I can't have a rich, intimate walk with the Lord if I am actively living in conscious, unrepentant sin. Jesus actually says as much. Look at what he's going to say in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now here's weird. This is a weird place where Jesus actually tells you to stop praying. Here's somebody who is coming to the temple. They are coming to worship. They are coming to pray to the Lord. They have an intention to pray to the Lord. And they're not even coming empty-handed. They're coming with a gift. They're coming to offer things to the Lord. This is somebody who is intentionally trying to connect to the Lord. And the Lord says, listen, if you're coming to pray, but you've done something against somebody else, then stop it. Just stop. Go fix it with them, and then you can come back and pray again. That that sin in your life is important. It's got to be fixed. It has to be addressed. If not, it's going to affect your prayers. And this is something you actually see in lots of different places. Look at this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. I've been reading 1 Peter in my, in my quiet times for the past couple of weeks, and all throughout this book, in multiple places, Peter makes this link between our walk with the Lord and our prayer life. He quotes verse 12 here. In chapter 3, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. All right, he's actually quoting here from Psalm 34, just a couple chapters ahead of where we are today. But he's quoting it here in the New Testament. He's quoting it to believers. And he says, listen, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. The picture is, is that God is like leaning in. To the righteous, to the people who are chasing after him. Again, they draw near to him. He draws near to them. His ear is listening. He wants to hear. But the face of the Lord is against those who are wicked. Right? So when you and I choose unrighteousness, it has an impact on our prayer life. And then look, here's another one in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That's interesting. He could have just said, hey, be self-controlled and sober-minded. That sounds great. But no, he says, no, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. And the implication there is, is that if we are not self-controlled, if we are not sober-minded, that this is going to have an impact on our prayer life. It hinders our prayer life. He actually says that in a different part of 1 Peter. If you, you act in such a way, your prayers are going to be hindered. And so this is one of those hidden consequences of sin is that it kind of puts a a break in our relationship. It strains the relationship. It becomes hard to pray when you and I are acting in ways that are specifically, intentionally rebellious. 
God's going to almost, uh, he says that there's an oppression here. His hand is heavy upon us. But does that sound weird to anybody? That God would frustrate prayer itself? I mean, of all the things that God would frustrate, you think he would frustrate something else other than prayer. I mean, if somebody's coming to the Lord in prayer, isn't that a good thing? Why would the Lord frustrate prayer? What, what is God doing here? Is he, is he punishing us? Is he kind of turning his, his, his head away from us in kind of a haughty fashion? Is, is God trying to, to, to punish us for the, the things that we have done wrong? And the answer to that is no. When the Lord lays his hand heavy upon us, when we find it hard to pray, this isn't a punishment, this is discipline. It's not punishment, it's discipline. You see, the Lord loves us, and he disciplines those he loves. Look, as parents, we discipline our children, don't we? And as children, we were disciplined, were we not? One of the jobs of parents is we're supposed to discipline our children. If you're not, please discipline your children, right? I mean, it's, it's going to help all of us. It really will. Uh, because if you do not, they're little chaos agents, right? And they will run amok and destroy everything. We have to discipline our children. Why? It helps them. We don't discipline our children out of anger. We don't do it because we're killjoys. We don't do it because we're, we're overbearing or domineering. You, you try to give guardrails to your children. Why? To protect them, to help them, to encourage them, to help them mature and grow up. And so they can, they can do all the things that God has made them to be. But we exert discipline on them out of love, out of help. This is what the Lord does. When, when you and I fail to confess, when we refuse to come forward, the Lord is going to give us a warning sign. There's a tension in prayer. It's hard to pray. And anytime you and I find ourselves in a place like that, where we come to the Lord in prayer and it just, it just does not feel close at all. When we come to the Lord in prayer and it just does not seem to connect at all, one of the things that we should always ask ourselves is this, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? It's not always the case, but it ought to be the first thing that we ask. Feeling that tension ought to be a red flag, a signal flare, a warning sign that something is going on. And when you feel that tension, we can always ask, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? This is, uh, this is just kind of like the modern day equivalent of just smacking the television to see if you can make it work, fixed real quick. You ever do that growing up? That's for the old people. Young people, don't do that to your flat screen. It's really terrible. You ever called an IT person? You ever have a problem with your computer? Like, if you ever have a problem with your computer and you have to call your IT person, you say, hey, my computer's busted. Can you help me? They're, they're all going to tell you the same thing. The first thing they're ever going to say to you is this. They're going to say, have you turned it off and on again? Right? Just turn it off and on again. It doesn't matter what the problem is. Just turn it off and on again, and that will fix 80% of the problems. Now, sometimes it doesn't. you got to do something else. But 80% of the time, that's the deal. That's what the Lord is giving us in confession. When you and I feel this tension with the Lord, the first thing we ought to try is this. Is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Is there any place in my life where I am not walking with the Lord, where I know for a fact I'm displeasing him? I know for a fact I'm not doing what he is saying. If you see the signal flare, it's the first thing we ought to try. It's not all of the reasons that might happen, but it's certainly one of the main ones. Because if we don't, there are consequences. When we fail to come to the Lord in confession, when we fail to bring our life to him, 
Well, look what happens. Look at verse 8. He says, I will instruct you in the way and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. When you and I fail to confess, the Lord is describing us uh, almost like a, like a wild mule, a wild donkey, a wild horse that, that, that needs to move in a certain direction. I mean, instead of kind of going where it's supposed to do, it's got to have a bit and a bridle, and there's just a, a fight with the rider to go any step, any place it's supposed to go. And he says, that's us. When the Lord is trying to move us towards righteousness, he's trying to move us towards, towards joy. He's trying to move us away from death, and instead, we just kind of Fight against that at all points. Why? Because we like to be in control. Because we want to make the decisions. We don't like it when anybody else tells us what to do. We don't like to be on somebody else's timetable. We want to be in control. And sometimes even with the Lord, we begin to, to fight him. It also shows that we don't understand where we're going. You see, the Bible is very clear. The Lord has a reason why he's trying to pull us in a certain direction. The Bible says there's multiple places. We says that the wages of sin is death. Let that sink in for a moment. The wages of sin is death. Always, period, end of story, no exceptions. Now, every single sin is not going to lead to physical death immediately, but every single sin kills us in some way, shape, or form. He said, well, Adam, it's not a really big bad sin. It's not all that bad, is it? Well, I don't know. Do you, do you want a lot of poison or do you want a little poison? Is a little poison okay with you? It's just a little poison. It's only killing me a little bit. It'll be fine. It's sin. The Lord knows where this leads. He sees where it's going. He watches a, a child, a son, a daughter that he loves heading off towards destruction. And so he's going to pull us back. He's going, he's going to put this oppression on us to try to wake us up to the fact that the path that we are on is headed towards destruction. Look at verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. That's what we're pushing ourselves toward. That's what we head to in our own devices, in, a, in our own way. And the Lord is trying to pull us away from that. He says, don't you understand? This is going to end in your destruction. And he says, there's a different alternative. Don't you see where you can go? Look at verse 10, the end of the verse. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Look at verse 11. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O you righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is what happens when we confess, when we're honest before the Lord, when we share what we're really doing, what we're, what's really happening. It doesn't lead to more pain. It actually leads to relief. It leads to, to joy. In fact, go back up to verse one. He'll say this again in the very first verses. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, we throw that word blessed around a lot, do we not? We see that in our culture. I heard it today. You buy some, have a blessed day. How you doing? I'm blessed, right? Hashtag blessed. I mean, we, we see it. You see it in all kinds of stuff. And we kind of throw it around like, like, like happy Right? It's just like I'm having an, like, what does blessed mean? Okay. It's an okay day. I am blessed. That's not what the word means. The, the word means a, a settled contentment. 
It means a deep joy. This is why Jesus is going to use it in the Beatitudes of, of the, the blessed are you statements. He says, listen, when you are blessed, you are in a state of contented joy before the Lord. When we confess, when we come before the Lord and say, God, this is what I'm really dealing with. This is where I really am. And we receive forgiveness. It leads to being blessed. It leads to joy. When you recognize that, when you bring your sins before the Lord, the Lord hears them and then he forgives us. There is a cleansing that happens. Furthermore, he says, this is not even counted against you. The Lord is not going to impute these towards you. They will go somewhere else. That means that they're never going to be brought up to you again. You don't have to live in constant fear. This is going to constantly be thrown back in your face. Yeah, remember that thing you did? Yeah, remember what you used to do? Yeah, remember that thing over there? It's gone. It's been forgiven. It's been cleansed. When you and I confess before the Lord, we find joy because in him, there's newness of life or a reconnection with him relationally that helps put us back on the path of blessedness and life. That's where the Lord is trying to lead us. But the pathway is confession. The way we get there is to purposefully confess. Look at verses five and six. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. When we confess before the Lord, we find joy, but it requires confession. David finally comes to a place where he says, I'm going to stop pretending. I'm going to stop pretending that everything's okay. I'm going to stop pretending that this is an okay course of action. I'm going to stop pretending with my excuses. I'm going to confess it before the Lord. And just say, God, I'm sorry. God, I was wrong. God, I admit it. God, I I tried to come up with some reason why it was okay for me, and now I see the the folly of this. I tried to come up with some reason why I I thought I I could outthink you, or I, I could twist this to my advantage, but I was wrong. I didn't understand, and God, I'm just sorry. He comes clean. And when he comes clean, that's where he finds this peace, this blessedness, when he finally confesses before the Lord. But there's a really cryptic line in verse 6. Did you catch it? It says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Now, that's interesting. Why is there a time period or a time limit on when I should confess? Furthermore, how could there ever be a time when the Lord could or could not be found? I thought the Lord was everywhere. I thought the Lord knows everything. So how can there not be a good time to confess? Why why would there uh, one time be better than another? Well, look, this is another one of those places. We've seen this multiple times over the course of the series. This is not talking about where God is positionally. This is talking about where God is relationally. Yes, God is everywhere. Yes, God does see everything. But remember, prayer is relational. It's not mechanical. This is about a relationship with the Lord. And there are going to be times when the Spirit of God convicts us. We felt that before, have we not? There are going to be specific times in our lives, moments in our lives, where the Lord convicts us. 
We feel that deep in our spirit. We begin to to understand. God begins to open us up and say this. This is the thing we need to deal with. This. This is the thing that is wrong that we need to talk about. And And we feel those in certain moments of our life, do we not? You may have felt that in this room before. But during a sermon, during a worship service, during an experience, the Lord began to convict you and speak very specifically and say, this, this, this is the time, this, I'm drawing you, confess. Maybe it's in your quiet time. You're reading the scriptures and the Lord just begins to speak to you through his word. He says this, now is the time, now is the time I want you to confess. Maybe it's in a conversation with somebody. You finally begin to to talk to somebody or trust somebody and the Lord begins to speak right then and there and says, listen, now is the time that we are to confess. And the Lord says, look, there are times I am moving and it is in those times that I want you to respond. But, but we worry about that, right? Especially in, in worship services. And no, 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 listen, I, I feel the conviction of the Lord and, and I get that, but, I, but I'll wait till later. I don't wanna do that in front of anybody else. And so, so I'll wait till later. Maybe I'll wait till next Sunday. If I'm really thinking about it then, then I'll know it's real. I'll wait till then. Maybe I'll go out into the car, into the parking lot. And after that, I'll confess then. Listen, if God wanted you, con- you to confess later, he would have convicted you later. If he wants you to confess now, he will convict you now. And so at a time when the Lord can be found, when the spirit begins to move, when you recognize him moving, that is the time to confess. That is the time that we need to say, Jesus, I hear you. You're speaking to me. You're helping me. You're revealing to me my sin. Remember, he's not doing this out of anger. This is not out of punishment. This is out of discipline. This is, this is to push us towards blessedness. Will we respond to him and confess and say, God, you're right. And I'm wrong. And so the question over this morning is, is is God convicting you of anything? For the sake of your prayers, is God convicting you of anything? You don't have to tell me, but you need to say it to him. You see, but he already knows, not the point. Do you want to have a relationship with him? You want to have that blessed relationship with him, the restoration of that intimacy with him. It requires confession. And so is there anything in your life that you just make an excuses for that you know is not okay? Is it pride? Because you just have to be in control? Because it's got to be your way and it can't be anybody else's way and you won't do it any other way but yours? Is it anger? An anger that's unchecked? We just kind of let run amok and run over anybody who dares to get in our way. Is it envy? We find ourselves just eaten up with envy. We look at what other people have and don't know why we don't have it. It just eats us up inside. Is it slander? Things we say about other people in person, to other people, online, or even just in our hearts. Is it slander? Is it lust? You're letting a relationship be way too close when you shouldn't. You're letting thoughts go places that they should not. It's the things that you're watching. It's pornography. Oh, this is a victimless crime. It's not affecting me at all when you know that it is. Is it greed? We have more than enough and all we care about is getting more. We can't think about helping others because all we can think about is having more for ourselves. Or is it something else? Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? 
Is there anything that the Spirit is convicting you of? We, we can't move forward until it's dealt with. You're not going to be able to move forward, even though you might have all these other things going on in your life. You cannot move forward until it's dealt with. Could we finally get honest with the Lord and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. God, I did it again. God, that thing I said I wasn't going to do, I did it. God, that thing I said I was going to do, I didn't do it. God, that thing you told me you wanted me to do, God, I didn't, I didn't follow your, your ways. I tried to get cute. I tried to get smart. I tried to do whatever. God, I'm sorry. Do we need to confess anything before the Lord? And look, even the idea of that just brings up fear, does it not? When you and I think about confessing before the Lord, finally getting honest before the Lord, even though we know he already knows, the idea that we would actually have that open conversation, instead of wanting to run towards the Lord, there's always a temptation for us to run and hide. It's what we've been doing since the garden. It's what Adam and Eve did when they got caught in their sin. First thing they did was to run and hide from the Lord. And Satan will encourage that as much as he can. Don't talk to God, run. He's he's tired of you. Look, man, God will forgive you for like the first few sins, but if you just keep doing it, dude, there's nothing for you. Yeah, God may have forgiven you when you're back in your past, but I mean, he's not gonna do that now, is he? Surely you've, you've run out of his good graces. Surely you've sinned too much. Surely there's, just, there's, just, there's not enough love in God for the things that you have done, for the things that you have said, for the ways that you have acted. Surely he's not really gonna do that for you anymore, and so we hide, we fake it, you find your whole life just getting sapped because there's no vitality anymore. What would happen if we just came to the Lord and confessed? And he said, yeah, but Adam, how do you know? Adam, that's great for David. Maybe that's great for you. But how do you know that God will accept me? How do you know that God will help me? And Jesus made very sure that again and again, we would be reminded of the endless grace of Jesus Christ. And we do that as we come to the table. When you guys came in, you would have found a communion kit sitting on your chair. We're not going to use these forever, I promise. Uh, but, but I'm glad we have them right now. And today we're going to come to the table and do what Jesus has given us to do. You see, Jesus gives us baptism, but baptism is something that we only do once in our lives. It's a picture that we have gone from death to life, that we have entered into the very family of God. And so once you've been baptized, you don't need to get baptized again. Why? Because you don't lose your salvation and gain it again multiple times. When the Spirit comes to live in you, you are sealed in Him. You don't need that again and again. You're in. But at the table, Jesus invites us to come Multiple times, consistently, he says again and again and again, I want you to come to the table, and when you come, I'm going to give you bread, I'm going to give you a cup, and he'll tell us, this is my body, this is my blood, which is given for you. In fact, look how he says it here in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28. This is the Last Supper. It says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. 
And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus knows exactly what he's about to do. He says, I'm going to give you my body, and I will give you my blood for a very specific reason. I obviously love you, but the reason I'm doing this is for the forgiveness of sins, all of them, past, present, and future. You say, yeah, but, but Adam, I've done this. I, I, I've given my life to the Lord, and I've done these things, but, 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 but I continue to fail, and I continue to not get better, and I've continued to make mistakes. Surely the Lord at some point will get tired of me, will he not? No, he won't. And if you need to know that for sure, just look at the people at the table. All the people that Jesus, at the very first supper, he gives the bread and he gives the cup. Who do you have? Well, you got Peter, James, and John. In just a couple hours, Jesus will ask them to stay awake and pray with them. They will not. They will fail and fall asleep on him. All of them, to a man, look at Jesus and says, we'll never abandon you. We're with you to the end. And when the soldiers show up, they all leave. And Peter, the loud mouth of them all, who said, I'd rather die before I leave your side. Within hours, we'll be denying that he even knows the name of Jesus Christ. To those men, Jesus hands bread and a cup and says, this is my body, this is my blood, which is given for your sins because I love you. When you and I come to the table again and again, month after month, year after year, It is the constant reminder that you and I cannot exhaust the grace of Jesus Christ. That our sins are no longer counted against us. I am no longer counted as having sin. Why? Because all of my sin was poured on Jesus Christ. When he goes to the cross and dies for me, he takes all the punishment. There's none left. He takes all the sin. There's none left. All of it was imputed to him and not to me. I was reckoned as righteous in his sight because Jesus gave his body and blood for the forgiveness of my sins. And he did that for you too. And so when you and I come before the Lord, if you have some sort of fear that when you confess, he's going to cast you out, or you've sinned too much, or you've gone too far, or you've done this too many times, the table is the constant reminder that Jesus knows, and he's already paid for it. He's not punishing you. He's inviting you to confess so you might experience what it's like to be blessed in him. Stop trying to fix it on your own. Stop trying to do it on your own. Instead, put your faith in him. Confess that you might be forgiven and cleansed and healed. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the worship team to go ahead and come on back up. We're going to close in worship, but before we take the elements, we're going to have an opportunity to sing And specifically in these moments, what I would love for us to do is to examine ourselves. Paul tells us to do this in 1 Corinthians. That before we partake of the body and blood, let's let's examine ourselves. And this isn't to find out whether you and I are worthy of the table or not. Here it is. We're not. And we're still invited. No one's worthy to come to the table. 
The reason he asks us to examine ourselves is this. If you really want to experience blessedness, if you want to experience that intimacy of relationship, we got to be honest, and that requires confession. Is there something you need to confess before the Lord? Is there something you need to confess before the Lord? So in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to begin to really ask that question, and I hope that you'll just spend these next few minutes in an attitude of prayer. I'm going to be right here. If you would like somebody to pray with you, I'd, I'd love to pray with you. I did that with people up front. And then we've got kneeling benches here too. If you just need to come and confess before the Lord, we've got places for you to come and, and confess right here at the altar. Now, as I said those words, I heard what all of you were thinking, which is, uh-uh. I ain't going up there. Dude, if I go up there on a confession Sunday, do you know what that means? That means I got something to confess. I ain't doing that. I got news for you. There's room for everybody up here. We all deserve a spot at the altar today, do we not? It's me, it's you. No one deserves to be here. Nobody gets in on our own merits. We're only here by the grace of God and we all have something to confess, amen. And so look, if it helps, you can come and confess before the Lord. You can sit at your chair, you can stand and sing. Let's just finally get honest. You want to see a powerful move of the Holy Spirit? It's not going to happen until we confess. You want to see a powerful move of God in our church? It's not going to happen until we confess. You ain't got to tell me, but you got to tell him. We got to get honest. So can we just cut the charades and find blessedness in him? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. Father, it just seems silly that any of our excuses, we even thought they would work. I'm so sorry. We come up with grand ideas, the things where we can twist things to to make things work when they they clearly don't. Reasons why we don't have to obey you when, when obviously we do. And Lord, I'm just so grateful for your patience. You see all of this ahead of time and it hurts you And yet you still offer us your body and blood. You still offer us yourself and then you chase us by your spirit and call us to confess. Not to punish us anew, but that we might find forgiveness and healing in you. Lord, just thank you. I said, Lord, today, I just pray on behalf of my brothers and sisters in this room for all the places we find ourselves, for the things that we don't want to confess, Lord, could day be a, a day of confession and healing? Could you give us the courage to be honest before you? Could you give us the courage to not wait till later, but to confess now that you might cleanse us and heal us and draw us closer? And Lord, we'll give you all the glory for it. And so, Father, hear us, but we offer this time to you.